0: <sighs> That's how they say amen somewhere, I'm sure. Do you guys know that amen is one of those words that goes cross-cultural? Like, every language, amen is always the same. And hallelujah, too. So, if you guys meet somebody and you don't know how to communicate with them, you can at least say, hallelujah. And they can turn back and say, well, amen. Yep. All right. Well, we are in uh, Mark, and my goal is to get into chapter 2 today. So, we should probably... Get on with it if we're going to do that. But of course, I want to start with a review, and I want to start by asking you guys: so far, up to this point in Mark chapter one, how have we seen Jesus' authority? Remember, authority is one of the key words that we see throughout this gospel. Uh, We're not even a full chapter in, but how have we seen Jesus display his authority so far in this chapter of this book? Yes, expelling demons. Christina, do you have something?
1: Healing physical ailments. Yes,
0: good. So he's healing people. He's casting out demons. Anything else? Now the
2: way he speaks in the synagogue, he speaks
0: with authority. Amen, just his words. He's different, right? He speaks as one who has authority, not as the rest of the scribes. Good. Any other thoughts before I throw my list up there? Not my exhaustive list, but my list that I could fit on this screen even. Uh Making that font smaller for you guys.
3: Well, just the way he's owed to Andrew, Peter, James, and John, and they they acted like they didn't have any options.
0: Yeah, he acted like they didn't have any options, huh?
3: <laughs>
0: yep. <laughs> yeah, he said, come and follow me. It wasn't a suggestion, it was a command for sure. All right. Greg, we're talking about how we've seen Jesus' authority displayed so far in this chapter. And uh, it was my, my goal to kind of mess with Greg a little bit and move his jacket up two seats. Did you do that? I did that. Okay. <laughs> I never go that far. Apart. <laughs> well, that's a problem. Nobody ever comes that far <laughs> up, everybody's always far back.
3: That's funny.
0: I don't want you to think that Dory came in and moved your jacket, but <laughs> you took so long to get in here that she she took that seat that is not rightfully hers, so
3: that's
0: all your fault. Is it rightfully hers, though? No. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> she has a baby. It's rightfully hers. <laughs> all right, so looking at Christ's authority so far in Mark chapter 1, uh, we can see that in verse 11, he was approved of by the Father. Remember, this was several weeks back now, but during his baptism, the, the Spirit descended on him as a dove, and the Father said, this is my beloved Son whom I will, in whom I am well pleased. Um, and or something to that effect. Maybe I'm mixing that up with a a different account. But he was approved of by the Father in verse 11. In verse 13, uh, we see that he overcame Satan's temptations. He has authority over not just the demonic realm, but over Satan himself. Satan uh, took him to task, and it didn't really work, right? Uh, Jesus overcame that temptation. We see in verses 17 and 20, as somebody, Christina, maybe was mentioning, that uh, he commanded the disciples to follow him. Well, it was you, Jerry. He just said, Get up, come and follow me. And he did that with authority. He didn't give them an option. And then he taught as one having authority. That was your comment, Christina, that he spoke not as the other scribes, but as one who uh, had that authority in and of himself. And then verses 25 to 27, he cast out the demons, and the demons listened, and they responded to him. And it says in uh, 27 that this authority was seen by other people. The people who were looking on, they said, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. So it's not just that he commands them authoritatively, but they listen because he has real authority over them, not just some kind of perceived authority. And then we see that he healed, and he rebuked uh, the fever of Simon's mother-in-law. And uh, that was cured, and he exercised authority over illness and over sickness. And then if all that fails to convince in verse 34 kind of sums everything up, and it says that he healed many who were ill with various diseases, and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak, because they knew who he was. So it kind of summarizes many diseases that he was healing and he cast out many different demons. And he wouldn't even allow them to speak because he has that kind of authority, that kind of power over even the, the metaphysical realm. He has authority in the physical realm healing these diseases, but even in the spiritual realm as well. Any other thoughts or questions on Christ's authority so far in this chapter before we move on? Or anything else before? Yes, Joseph? I
4: just, I just always thought this was interesting, but like, you know, Jesus—he tells something to a demon, and the demon obeys. But you know, he tries to tell things to us, or it's like, you know, I was like, huh? Yep. We,
0: yeah. Yeah. Like we have
3: trouble
0: following him. And demons are more obedient than we are. huh? What a conviction. Uh, I like how R.C. Sproul tells the story of Uzzah and the ark. You guys remember him from the Old Testament, and how he was uh, going along. He was trying to stabilize the Ark of the Covenant so that it wouldn't fall and hit the ground. And he said Uzzah was so presumptuous as to think that he was less dirty than the dirt on the ground. It would have been better if the Ark had fallen on the dirt because the dirt was doing what it was supposed to do. It's, it's being dirt. It's submitting to God. But Uzzah was being disobedient. Uh, they were supposed to be carrying the Ark on poles and not touching it at all. And Uzzah, uh, as a Kenizzite, he should have known that. But he reached out and touched it and God struck him dead. And we have a, a tendency again in our sinfulness to stand back and to judge God and say, well how how could God do that? How dare God kill that man Because um, God is God, and that man was sinful, right and he touched the ark in disobedience so yeah, good point the The demons are more obedient than we often are. What a convicting thought all right, well let's move on. we're going to be in chapter one verses 35 to 39 to start off, we're going to be looking at Jesus' prayer and Jesus' preaching. I'll go ahead and read that passage for us. Again, Mark 1, starting in verse 35. It says, In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also. For that is what I came for. And he went into the synagogue, their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. So I mentioned a little bit last week at the the end of our lesson um, that we can have a tendency to look at this account as prescriptive rather than descriptive. That it is something that people will say, well, because Jesus prayed in this way, we have to pray in this same kind of fashion, the same kind of method. Uh, that's not the case. It's definitely okay to uh, implement some of the, the ways in which Jesus prayed. Getting up early in the morning, going to a secluded place, going to a, 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 the same place every day. Something that is... Um, a, a regular environment I suppose um, a prayer closet so to speak but it's not necessary for a prayer life and a lot of people will prescribe it as such and say well because Jesus did that we have to do that um, not necessarily case it's good to have a, a routine it's good to have a structured prayer time but it can look different for, for everybody so we need to keep that in mind <clears throat> we do see that um, Jesus prays throughout the book of Mark I wanted to Just read uh, chapter 646, another verse that talks about how Jesus prayed. And in 646, it says that after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. And then at the end of the gospel, we see in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus prayed. Uh, That's over in chapter 14. And he prayed regularly all throughout. We see that... um, not just in the Gospels in general, but in this specific Gospel, we see Mark pointing out this fact that uh, Jesus prayed. And here, he's getting up early in the morning. So if you really want to uh, be a stickler and pray just like Jesus prayed, um, what that meant was that he was getting up before daybreak. So it was like 4 a.m. that he was getting up and praying. Um, so if somebody wants to be really regimented with you, you can tell them, well, do you get up at 4 o'clock every morning and pray? Um, But again, that's not the point. Jesus isn't telling us you need to pray in exactly this way. Um, I do want to just play devil's advocate for a minute and uh, ask you guys a couple of questions that people will often take out of this passage and and ask Christians. Um, So starting off, if Jesus really was God, Christian, uh, why don't you tell me how it is that, that he could pray to God? Was he just talking to himself? What? What was going on here? What do you have to say? You guys are all just looking at me.
3: That's
2: it. I'm trying to the Trinity.
0: Okay, what, what is a Trinity? As opposed to, uh,
3: what's the other word? The uh, modalism.
0: Yep. Three persons and the one being of God, one essence. Good.
2: Doesn't it say the two that he became subservient? He emptied himself. I mean he's fully God, but fully human. And we're here. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that's all I was going to say.
0: Okay. Good. So, yeah, to that point, let's see if we can rip on that a little bit more. Um, if Jesus was God, then why did he need to pray to God? I do that, That's my question to you. If Jesus was God, he if he really was God, why did he need to pray to God?
3: He wanted to honor his father. Okay. Well, he was human. Things until we lose them, and since we've never lost our deity, we don't know how tremendous and amazing and comprehendable that is to set aside deity
0: and set aside his glory, right? Yeah. human nature, right? And what do we call that? What is the theological term that we talked about several weeks ago for that?
3: Hypostatic. What was that? It? Hypostatic.
0: Yeah, hypostatic union. Good job. The fact that Jesus is truly God, and yet he is also truly man. Yes?
4: I think just the fact that Jesus is praying to God, it kind of just demonstrates
1: the relationship they have with each other.
0: Yes. Good. Not
1: they communicate. The <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, it displays his dependency on the Father, right? Which highlights his human nature, uh, which draws our minds back to that doctrine of the hypostatic union and the fact that he truly is man, that he is carrying out his Father's will. Yes, Amy.
2: It also highlights that this world is not it. If he was, you know, recognizing Jesus as fully human, then it would be all material... There is a recognition of there is a spiritual realm of life that um, is not seen, and he made that priority.
0: Yes. Good. Yeah, that goes back to those Gnostic teachings that we were talking about some recent point. I don't even remember. Oh, when we were doing our church history, we were talking about Gnosticism, the effects of Gnosticism and uh, Christian Platonism, trying to separate the physical from the material and that Jesus... He never gave us any reason to think that that was true. Is there something over here?
2: Um, Isn't it also for our benefit? I mean, not initially at the time, but now we can read back and see that relationship and try to mirror that.
0: Yeah, Yeah, and especially if we look at uh, Matthew 6 and Luke 6 and Luke 11, we see these instances where the disciples are asking Jesus, teach us how to pray, and he does. And um, that is, again, a, a model prayer, not something that we have to take and rigidly implement, but some we can see, okay, well, this is how Jesus prayed. All right. Good answers, Christians. Good way to uh, uh, respond to those common questions that are really rooted and based in uh, poor presuppositions. This question, the way that it's phrased, it presupposes one purpose for prayer, that Jesus needed to pray to God because he needed something. Prayer is not just about Uh, petition. It's not about coming to God because we need something, but prayer is also about relationship and communion and fellowship. And Jesus had fellowship with the Father from before time began, right? Because he is a triune God, because there are three persons in the one being of God, he had eternal relationship, eternal love within the the triune God. uh, So that's not something that uh, he is needing in a sense um, but he is desiring, as you mentioned, or as you alluded to, Mike. There's a difference between a, a need and a want, right? Um, have you guys seen that R.C. Sproul video where he says, what's wrong with you people? You guys seen that? That's a pretty good one. If you haven't seen, I need to show it in here sometime. Uh, but he calls out people and he says, what's wrong with you people? In a really animated way, and he says, "Old man on oxygen. And, uh, it's great. But before that, leading up to it, Um, he was asked a a question, um, and the question started off is, if God is slow to anger and patient, and he stops him and he says, no, since. And he says, oh, oh yes, since God is slow to anger and patient. So again, just kind of pointing out the the presuppositions and the presuppositions that are built into these kinds of questions. If Jesus is God, or if Jesus was God, uh, is just questioning from the very get-go his deity, the fact that he is God, We don't want to start from that kind of uh, presupposition. We don't want to start from uh, that point. But rather, we need to realize that since Jesus is God and since he prayed, uh, you and I, we are um, much more in need of praying, right? We ought to pray and develop a routine and stick to it uh, just as Jesus did. And I had mentioned last week that I had those little handouts, 100 weekly prayer requests. And I left them at home. But I'll bring them next week. So if you want one of those next week, uh, I'll bring them and you can grab one of those in. All right. And I came across this quote this last week. I thought it was pretty good. This quote from Wesley Livingston. He says that prayerfulness demonstrates dependency upon the divine one, whereas prayerlessness renders self-sufficiency. If we are not going to God in prayer, we're saying, oh, I got it. I don't need him, right? And Jesus the the divine god man he went to the father in prayer again how much more do you and i need to submit ourselves to god in prayer all right well it can be easy for us to get distracted by urgent things but jesus wasn't distracted by the urgent right he had peter come up to him and say well peter and the other disciples were told in verse 36, they were searching for him and they found him and they said, everyone is looking for you. And what was Jesus' response? Did he get up and go and heal some more people? No, he says, yeah, I'm going somewhere else. That's not what I'm here for. Uh, let's go somewhere else to so the towns nearby so that I may preach there also for that is what I came for. So he wasn't distracted by these these urgent things in life. Oftentimes it's hard to distinguish between the important things in life and the urgent things in life, and sometimes they go together, but very oftentimes they're, they're not the same, right? But Jesus wasn't distracted by the urgent. He knew what his purpose was, and he was going to stick to it. <clears throat> and we see that Jesus wasn't a man pleaser. He wasn't going to appeal to what these guys wanted and just, Uh, go and and heal these people, go and cast out demons. He wasn't going to perform these quote-unquote magic tricks for them because they wanted to see some cool stuff. Uh, He had an agenda and he was going to stick to it. It says in Acts 10.34, Peter, talking the same person who is uh, giving this gospel to Mark, right? And Peter there said, for I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. After he understood the, the distinction between that there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile, but salvation is available for both. He said, now I know, and I get it. There's no partiality. Uh, Romans 2.11 says pretty clearly, there is no partiality with God. And Proverbs 29.25, does anybody have that ready to go? What does that say?
3: One says the fear of man brings a snare.
0: Uh But But whoever trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Yet the fear of man brings a snare. Uh, that's something I need to remind myself of often, that we're not here to, to please men. We need to uh, oftentimes completely disregard, if not uh, correctly understand, the, the judgment of men and the, the praise of men. That's something that we need to not strive after because the fear of man is a snare. We need to please God rather than men. All right, and Jesus, throughout this, he remained resolute in his mission to preach, even when he was openly embraced. Remember, when he was there in Capernaum, he was being accepted very well, right? Everybody was uh, loving on him, he wasn't being uh kicked out like he was in or he will be later on in other places. Uh, he did many other things, but above all he he was there preaching, and he was being embraced for that, but he didn't accept that embrace his reason to stay and do something else. He's going to stick to his mission and and go elsewhere so that he can preach. So he withdrew from the praise and the approval of Capernaum to a a wilderness place is what the text says. He went out into a a desert-like place so that he could preach among uh, less accepting crowds. Crowds that weren't going to be so embracing. Crowds that were going to uh, really be antagonistic towards him. But That was his mission. He was going to preach to these antagonistic crowds rather than coming over to these uh, man-pleasing crowds, people that were uh, being more embracing of Christ. He wasn't going to tickle their ears. He wasn't going to uh, put on these magic shows for them. He had a mission to complete, and he was going to do it. When we're told in the text that... In verse 36, that Simon and his companions, they went out and they were searching for Jesus. Uh, they were looking for him. That's a, a strong word, talking about how they were hunting him down. And the root word for that word, most oftentimes when it's translated into the English text, it's translated as to to persecute or to pursue. That's what Peter and his companions were doing. They were pursuing or uh, persecuting Christ to, to say um, these people, they... They want you. You need to come back here. So uh, we can see uh, that his word choice suggests here that there's a, a tinge of annoyance in in Peter's voice and in the the people that he's saying, Jesus, you need to go back. You're having a, a successful, fruitful ministry there. Everybody was loving you, and, and you're out here and you're praying. Um, let's go back. And that's when Jesus says, no, we're going to go somewhere else, right? But again, it's interesting because Peter is the one who is dictating this to Mark, and he's kind of snitching on himself here. He's saying, uh, in my foolishness, I went out and I was kind of annoyed with Jesus, and I was uh, pursuing him antagonistically, saying that he needs to come back. Uh, that's showing uh, a degree of humility in Peter that we, we don't always see. We can certainly see it if we look for it, especially in First and Second Peter, um, but oftentimes we're apt to focus on on peter and his pride and his ability to say the wrong thing at the wrong time Um, and he he has the humility to point out those wrong things that he says through the writing of mark so i thought that was kind of interesting that um, we have that evidence not only of his humility but also of the reliability of the text because um, that's not something that you you put into a book that you're trying to, to puff up as something that it isn't, right? The Bible is truthful. The Bible is uh, very clear in even the, the not-so-glamorous uh, aspects.
3: The heroes of the Bible are very
0: fallen. Amen. Indeed they are. The heroes of the Bible are very fallen. Good point. All right we do see that the disciples seemed more apt to fall into this trap of, of man-pleasing and embracing success. Again, with Peter saying, come back, let's, let's go there. We're having a, a successful ministry. The same kind of thing that we see in Acts chapter 8 with uh, Philip. Remember that Philip was having a successful ministry in Samaria. Uh, many people, multiples of people were coming to the Lord. And God sends an angel of the Lord and he says, no, you need to go out on a desert road. <laughs> and the Philip, he went out there, he was obedient, and he ran into the Ethiopian eunuch, reading through, of all places, Isaiah 53. So he just had more fruit because he was obedient, but um, it's that kind of mentality of, man, I'm, I, I want to go back there. That was what Peter was feeling and, and his companions, to go back to what he knew was successful, but Jesus knew, no, I need to be preaching. And so he decided uh, that knowing his mission was to preach, that since the Capernaum crowds sought his his work as a, a miracle worker and not his preaching, that he was going to leave deliberately and seek another place in which he could preach and fulfill that ministry of preaching. Thoughts or questions on Jesus' prayer or, or preaching ministry in 35 through 39? Well,
2: this is the... As I read all of us and I hear, it's the difference. We're all Peter. It's the difference. Between us and Jesus, right? Peter didn't see the full. He mm-hmm. didn't see the full picture. All he could see was, well, "It's here. Yep. We got to go where where God's moving." you you know, I'm speaking. It's here, and we—he couldn't see it. He couldn't see it, and that's the same with us. I, at least in my life, like, well, I, God's moving here, so I got to go here, and the, and the temptation is always there to, yeah. get, to get distracted by. Thanks for doing what you're doing, you know, to get mm-hmm. distracted by all the things instead of seeking what God really wants. And it's, I don't know. That Being I distracted
0: ever, by the urgent. I don't know
2: if we ever come to grips with
0: that. Yeah. You just have to realize that God has brought you to Utah. You need to stay in Utah, Greg. No, no. <laughs> <I> no, <mean, laughs> I mean, just in anything in our lives. I mean, you know what yes. I mean? It's just, it's, yeah, we're and, always and dealing
2: with the flesh, so we're always wanting to follow the flesh. That yeah, constant God. Roman 7 struggle, huh? yeah.
0: Yes, Andy. I
4: think it's a great
0: God's ways are are better. His thoughts are higher. All right, good. Let's look at uh, the following five or six verses, uh, six verses talking about Jesus cleansing a leper. So he moved on from Capernaum, his hometown. He goes, it says in verse 39 before this, he was going throughout their synagogues in all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. And then verse 40, he comes upon a leper. Uh, Will somebody read verses 40 to 45 for us? All right. Thanks, Sam.
3: And a leper came to him,
1: imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean.
4: Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for approved to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter.
0: All right. So we see here Jesus' encounter with a leper. And first off, we need to understand that lepers suffered great physical pain in addition to being social outcasts. They weren't embraced. They weren't accepted. They were seen as unclean. We can go back to Levitical law and see there in Leviticus 13, uh, that passage there says that um, commanding all throughout that whole chapter. The next chapter is just really gross. This is what you do with this kind of boil. This is what you do with this kind of infection or skin disease. But here in these verses, 45 and 46, it says that as for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, and the hair of his head shall be uncovered. And he shall cover his mustache and cry. Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So, not only does he have this, this physical pain, but he has to let everybody else know, hey, I'm, I'm unclean, I'm contagious. I can't be around anybody else. He needs to isolate himself outside of the camp. So, to be a leper was to be a, a very sad person, physically and emotionally, to be outcast and estranged from everybody else. And uh, Jesus approaches this leper. He comes up to this leper. This leper who, actually, it's the leper who came to Jesus, right? Jesus didn't approach the leper. The leper came to Jesus. And remember, the leper is, where is he at? He's not inside the camp, right? He's not inside the city. He's outside the city, which means that Jesus' fame has spread even to the outskirts of the city. He's not uh, hearing about Jesus from, you know, inside of the city. He's not in the synagogues and hearing all this teaching of Jesus. But Jesus' fame is even uh, making its way to the leper. And uh, then he approaches Jesus. And let's note uh, the leper's posture. What was the leper's posture as he approached Jesus? He was, knees. he was down on his knees, right? And this is his physical posture, of course, but this physical posture reflects his heart, his heart of humility, of being needy and begging for Jesus. And not only begging jesus but trusting jesus that jesus can deal with his issue he says if you are willing you can make me clean he has total reliance and dependence upon jesus and his ability to make him clean and he's coming up with this uh really soft heart before christ and does anybody have a an niv anybody reading from an niv I can get it on my
1: phone.
0: you can get it on your phone okay <laughs> you got all of them, all right. Um, I'm not gonna condemn anybody for not reading from the NIV, but um, yeah, do you have it on there? Yeah, I have. it Okay, what does it say in Mark one forty one?
2: Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing," he said to be "clean."
0: All right, so he was indignant. <laughs> um, the the Greek there means to be angry to be irate to be furious it's used nine times in the new testament this is the only time that it's not translated as to be angry or to be irate uh what do you suppose that jesus was angry at why why was jesus angry I don't know if he questioned. He said, if you were willing, you can make me clean, right? What's that? Is it because he's sick? Like, the fallen. I
2: guess just dealing with it all the time, all the sickness and all the need. Like, that he's mad at the person, which is the state of the man. Is that
0: it? Yeah. I don't know if we could say that he was, like, mad at his having to deal with it. Like, he was inconvenienced. or sick.
2: Like, it's. You know, everywhere yeah. you look it's just everything's falling apart, you
0: know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why he was angry, because yeah, the the world is falling apart because it's a result of the fall, right? Because sin is so um it's all all invasive, right? I can't think of the, the right word right now, but all pervasive. pervasive. Yeah. Yeah, we'll go with that.
2: It's just like right now when you look around the world, like it's just sick and sad and, yeah. sad and the bad stuff happens. It's the same thing. You're angry, not at people, but, you know, it's just yep. the state of things right
0: now. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was what was going on with Jesus. He was upset with the the sin, um, not with the man, but the effects of sin as a whole. Um, and again, that we live in this completely fallen world, in this place that is affected not only in a, a physical sense, but in a, a metaphysical sense, we are totally depraved, completely depraved, not just again in our, our person but in our mind and our thought processes, um, we are a fallen fallen people, and yet Jesus has compassion on on this man, and we see that he is so holy. Jesus is so holy, he is so incorruptible that his touch cleansed this unclean man rather than this man's unclean condition affecting Jesus in some negative corrupting way it had the opposite effect altogether uh, because of Jesus being God because he is pure and holy uh, Titus one fifteen says that to the pure all things are pure and if anybody fit that bill certainly Jesus did Jim do you have something
1: I think maybe he was a little bothered when he said if you're willing Jesus' message had been that he had come to heal and so maybe it was just like sometimes when he's frustrated with the disciples, don't you understand
0: yet? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. I would probably lean away from that because again, this guy was out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And this was early on in his ministry, but yeah, I think the overall he was uh upset with the the condition of sin, that sin was the, all creation is, is groaning and crying out, right? Romans 8 tells us. And Jesus being filled with compassion, um, because he is soft-hearted, he, he has a desire to, to do something about that sin. So I think the the anger drives him to, to compassion, um, to, to do something about it.
1: But again, the question is if you're willing. Mm-hmm. Even if you look at it, Yeah. we might be healed there might be that sin penalty for sin might be removed from us
0: I would think to, to say anything else so it might be presumptuous to say heal me right yeah. <laughs> because um, uh, that's that. what I'm owed or what I'm deserved um, well yeah.
3: he doesn't know Jesus all he knows is what he's heard he don't know. Yeah. And last week we looked everybody in the world rejects him. Nobody is trying to help him. Yeah. So he's used to and expects rejection. But he knows Jesus is able, he just doesn't know the real heart of Jesus yeah studying Tuesday mornings.
0: Hmm. Good. Yeah, thankfully Jesus is patient and long suffering and uh willing to to work with us despite our fallen nature. All right, one more thing we see in this passage is that like the fever uh, of the Peter's mother-in-law back in 31, the leprosy was healed immediately. He didn't say, take these pills, you'll be good in a couple of weeks, but immediately he was healed. Um, that's how, how Jesus operated, right? It was taken care of right away. And then also we see that... He was told to, to go to the priest in verse 44, go and show yourself to the priest, offer your cleansing as Moses commanded as a testimony to them um, so that the priest would see well, this man was healed, this man who once was leprous and now he's been cleansed this is going to be a, a testimony against them uh, that in the day of judgment uh, the one who they believed and embraced the testimony of the one who was cleansed while rejecting the testimony of the one who cleansed him and the power of the one who cleansed him. And Jesus says, you need to go show yourself as a testimony against them. And we're reminded, Matthew twelve thirty-six says that um, every idle word is going to be judged in, in the last day. And John twelve forty-eight says that we're going to be judged by the words of Jesus. And here, these priests um, are going to be judged by the fact that Again, they, they embraced the, the result of this cleansed leper, but they rejected the one who cleansed him. All right, and then I have a, a quote here from John Grasmick. He says that the deliverance that Jesus brought transcended the Mosaic law and its regulations, those which condemned the leper. Though the law provided for the ritual purification of a leper, It was powerless to cleanse a person from the disease or to effect inward spiritual renewal. But Jesus was not powerless to do that, right? Jesus came and he did what the law could not. He healed this person um, that the law condemned. I thought that was a a pretty good point, good insight on that. All right, any quick questions before we move on to chapter two?
1: Yes. Yes. also, Jesus could see that even though this guy professed that he believed Jesus could heal him, he didn't believe to the point of obedience, because he went out and immediately disobeyed what Jesus told him to do.
0: Yeah, we don't know if he went and showed himself to the priest, um, but going out and, and talking about Jesus would give us pause to, to think maybe he didn't go and show himself to the priest, right? Mine
1: says, says, however, which kind of
0: Yeah, well, he definitely didn't keep his mouth shut, like Jesus said, right? Jesus said, you need to go away and don't tell anybody. And in fact, he went and he told everybody all throughout the the whole region. And the result was that um, Jesus wasn't able to go into any large, uh, publicly, public city. What does it say? Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but he stayed in the unpopulated areas which is kind of interesting because that's where this leper was before, right? He was relegated to the the outcast areas that weren't inside the city. Jesus was in the city having this great ministry. And then Jesus healed this man. This man went. He was now able to go into the city being cleansed. And Jesus was relegated to the outskirts because this man was disobedient. and He went and was yapping about Jesus um, when Jesus told him not to. And now Jesus, because of his... Newfound popularity and fame, which he wasn't seeking, he was um, on the outskirts. Don't you
2: think he would know that though before he healed
0: him? That Jesus? Oh, yeah. Jesus absolutely <laughs> knew it was going <laughs> to happen. It didn't catch him by surprise, yeah. but he told him not to tell anybody. Yeah. And yeah, that was the result that Jesus took his place as an outcast, so to speak. How Andy. Which
1: that, like people today, we, we accept, say, you know, we pray, I'm a sinner. Jesus, forgive me. Yep.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, we're 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 disobedient too.
0: Yeah, and, uh, just like Joseph said, the, the demons obeyed, but we're disobedient. That absolutely reflects our hearts. And, and
3: on that, the the reason for him to go was to be a testimony,
2: and the reason for us to live in submission to Christ is to be a testimony,
0: and and we lose our testimony. Oh, we still have a testimony.
2: It's just a negative one, right? <laughs> right. Yeah,
0: it's a, a poor witness. Yeah, that's one of the easiest ways, I think, to break the, the third commandment, not to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. When we say, yes, we're Christians, and then we live in a way that isn't reflecting that we are children of God, 1 John 3, I think, but rather we are living our lives like we're children of the devil. That is uh, a poor testimony of being a child of God.
4: I think, I think that um, you know one of the primary accusations brought against Jesus by the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, was that he denied Moses and the law. That he was, you know, one of the accusations was he was going to tear down the temple, all these other things. You know, if that were true,
0: Good. Yeah. Jesus was, was looking at Moses saying, You need to obey that law. Um, while superseding that law and transcending that law, as John Grassmick says, and doing what the law was unable to do. Well,
4: in Jesus' scripture, it was the Old Testament. Yep. Period. He didn't transcended uh, it, but that was the source.
0: Yeah, that act of obedience of Christ, right? Being perfect in all those things. All right, well, let's move on to chapter 2. And we will see Jesus preaching that Old Testament law that uh, you were just referencing. I'll go ahead and read the passage for us before we jump in. It says that when he had come back to Capernaum. So remember, he was in Capernaum. Then he went out to Galilee to get away from all these people who were seeking a miracle. Uh, then he was out in the outskirts because of his popularity, um, his unwanted popularity from this leper. And then chapter two, verse one says, he came back to Capernaum for several days afterwards. And it was heard that he was home. Remember this is his home base. This is where he's located out of, or um, operating out of. And many were gathered together so that there were, there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was laying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and pick up your pallet and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Get up, pick up your pallet and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up his pallet and went out into the, in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God saying, we have never seen anything like this. What a, what a story. All right. Starting off, um, verse two says that Jesus was speaking the word to them. What was the gospel that Jesus was preaching? And he said it was based on the old Testament alone, right? But what was the gospel that he was preaching? Amen. Now remember verses 14 and 15 of chapter 1. That summarizes Jesus' preaching ministry throughout the whole book. It says, Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. Well, what is the gospel of God? Uh, It's verse 15. And saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel that's what he was preaching the kingdom is here you need to repent and believe that was his message and um, just like we saw back in verse 38 of chapter one jesus wasn't concerned with um, satisfying the the expectations of man he wasn't being a, a man pleaser and so when when he says that um let's see they were gathered together. There was no room. Um, yeah, later on when he says that his, his sins are, are forgiven, um, in verse 5, this statement would have been received as being out of place. It was something that was not really expected. It would have seemed even inappropriate for that time or irrelevant. And so um, these people, they were looking for this man to be healed and Jesus caught them off guard not wanting to fulfill the, the expectations of man not pleasing man or satisfying man's desire uh, but he's rather addressing his primary need realizing again that this man is a, a whole man he has not just physical needs but even deeper spiritual needs and you and I I think oftentimes will neglect to, to realize that in our prayer life um, when when we pray to God, we will focus more primarily on the physical needs than on the spiritual needs. I think that's a, a human tendency that we have. Not that God is unconcerned with your, your uncle's knee surgery or you know, your, your ear infection or your, your mother-in-law's fever, so to speak. Um, he's definitely concerned with those things, but those things are secondary. I think primarily he is concerned with, um, with your heart. Right? You, can, you can gain all those things. You can gain a, a new knee or uh, a loss of a fever and still lose the world. And we can get lost sometimes in our, our prioritizing of our prayers. It's like if you have a, a big, huge, gaping wound and you're ready to bleed out, it's life-threatening, and you go into the doctor and you say, I, I have this paper cut. Can you give me a Band-Aid? Um, or if you, you tell your friend who has this big wound, you say, hey, I... I have a band-aid for that paper cut. That's not really addressing what is the the vital need of that that individual. So I think we need to better, I think we need to reevaluate the way that we triage our prayers. Um, Not that those things are irrelevant, but they're definitely secondary to the primary need. And Jesus was evaluating this man, seeing that he was being dropped down into this roof, or into this room from this roof, uh, needing to be Healed, needing or asking uh, just by way of being there for his legs to be healed. And Jesus said, Well, your sins are forgiven. He was addressing his primary need, first of all. All right, this man's condition, we need to recognize, is not tied to a a personal sin. Um, So that was the the common perception of the day. And I think it's still a, a common perception today that. this man was was lame. He was unable to walk because of his own personal sin. And that's not at all the case. Last week, Andy had mentioned uh, John chapter 9 and this man who was healed and he was asked, or Jesus was asked by the scribes and the Pharisees, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, well, neither. That's irrelevant. That's neither here nor there. Um, but it's uh, a result as we mentioned before, as sin in general, this sin that uh, upset Jesus back in chapter 1 when he was talking with a leper, it's the result of this sin that this man was uh, in this condition as he laid in the first place. And when Jesus addresses this man, he does tell him that his sins are forgiven. Verse 5, he says sins, plural, right? It doesn't say your sin is forgiven. Your one singular sin that got you into this condition. He says, son, or Luke adds, friend, uh, your sins, plural, are forgiven. Again, Jesus is addressing the primary need of this man before addressing the the secondary need that comes along later. And then we see that the scribes who are there, the same scribes that we saw back in uh, verse 22 of chapter 1, the ones who didn't speak with authority, right? These scribes were here and they were kind of the religious leaders of the day. They were guarding this religious teaching and probably there to check out and test Jesus. And it says that they said in their hearts that they were questioning Jesus saying that nobody can forgive sins except for, for God alone. And they're absolutely true in this assessment that only God can forgive sins. Um, did I get some help looking up those verses there in, in yellow? I'll go back and read that passage in Exodus first. These are passages that are highlighting that very truth The only God has a power and authority to forgive sins. Exodus 34, starting in verse 6. Says, then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. That's how God describes himself. That's pretty cool. He says, Who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sins, yet will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on their children. And on the grandchildren and third and fourth generations, uh, skipping down to verse nine, it says, he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray that let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate and pardon our iniquity and our sins and take us as your own possession. God is the one who is able to forgive sins, transgression, iniquity. And Isaiah 42:8. Who's got those passages in Isaiah? Okay. Amy.
2: I am the Lord that is my name. I will not give, or I, I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images.
0: All right. And chapter 48 says the same, a similar thing. He won't share his glory. Uh, while you're there, Amy, we grab 43:25. What does that passage say?
2: I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. And
0: I will not remember your sins. Amen. Alright, and then uh, Psalm 103.3 says that it is God who pardons all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Down in verse 12 it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. That's what the Lord does. And Colossians 2, 13 and 14. Who's got that? All right, go ahead.
4: Uh, it says, And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of death consisting of decrees against us, and which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross.
0: Amen. So Jesus, being God, is able to forgive sins, even to that degree that He has taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Um, and these scribes were starting to question Jesus, saying, "Well, how can He stand up here and, and say that this man's sins are forgiven um, <laughs> when only God has the power and authority to forgive sins?" Yes. Oh. Oh, I thought you were I raising your hand <laughs> trying to get my attention.
2: Uh, okay. I wish it was
0: Oh, next time. Oh, okay. Andy.
4: Well, I mean, it's, when he cleanses the parasitic when he heals his body, you know, the first day Yep. Yeah. By in the real world healing people Amen. in front of people. Yep. And that was what we the Pharisees. They couldn't, you know, even uh, when Peter and Acts, right, and healed, the, healed the man when he was going to the temple, you know, they like Acts three. Yeah. These, these men are performing acts just like Jesus said that. Demonstrate.
0: Yep. Yeah, John five talks about the uh, how the the fivefold testimony of Jesus. How he uh, declares himself to be God. How the scriptures declare that he is God. Um, his his miracles. He says, um, talking about John, he says, one who is greater than John is here, and I'm going to do greater things even than John. And the very works that my Father has sent me to do, I'm now doing. And these works testify about me. It says the same thing in John 10:25. But all these things are testifying of Jesus, and now He's just adding even more evidence of His authority. We've seen, as we mentioned at the beginning of the lesson, all these different ways in which Jesus is showing His authority. This is just another way in which He's demonstrating His authority, even to forgive sins.
4: Well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. The thought that I had was, you know, it's easy for me with my mouth to say I forgive you. Yes. Sins number one, I don't have the authority, yeah. I do person to person, but that's invisible,
0: yeah. You and know, he verifies it with he his verifies
4: work it by doing something,
0: yeah. yeah. We'll look at that a little bit more next week as they go on in there as Jesus questions their question, really. And uh, two things that the the scribes got right they got right at the fact that only God can forgive sins, and they also kind of in a weird way got right that um, we're either left with the the conclusion that Jesus was God or Jesus was blaspheming God and they came to the wrong conclusion but those are really the only two conclusions that we can have he was either blaspheming to say he forgives sins or he was in fact God and I told you we would dip into chapter 2 we kind of did that in a a rushed fashion we'll come back and we'll revisit the rest of the story next week and then uh, carry on from there James or Jim, I always called you James. That's weird. Do you have a closing thought for us?
1: It's always interesting that the ones who know the scriptures and should recognize from what Jesus says and what he does that he's not only claiming to be God, that he is God. Amen. But they're the first ones to deny it. The common people seem much more red. These guys should
0: know. they absolutely should know huh? alright let's pray God thank you again for your word thank you for your people pray that you would bless us today as we focus on you Amen, Amen.